welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am your host, David Murphy, columnist, former Phillies beat writer for the Daily News and the Philadelphia Inquirer and Philly.com. And we are going to talk about the Phillies today. I've got Matt Breen in the staging area right now, uh, ready to break down a three-game series that the Phillies ended up dropping two out of three. One could argue it easily could have gone the other way. Today we're going to look at where the Phillies stand in the NL playoff race. We're going to look at all of the contenders and the, the wannabe contenders and such. And to help us, let's bring in Breen right now. Matt Breen, are you still with me? I'm still here, out of the staging area. You are. You uh, you were telling me you just made a big purchase last night, right? Madden is, uh, Madden is hitting the sh- shelves shortly. Yeah, it's on its way. It's, it's a re- can't wait to get it. Wish it was here right now, so I wouldn't have to be talking to you. Well, but then you would be getting your butt whipped by me. That's true. That's very true. It was a uh, not this year. This is my year. It was a humbling experience for you last year, getting whooped by a 36-year-old in, in Madden. Especially since I'm only like 13, so you know I, I should be good at these video games. So who's your team? Who's your team this year? Um, I think the Vikings, which probably won't sit well with Eagles fans, or not. I just I really want to use Delvin Cook, um, but I also was thinking the other day maybe the Houston Texans because I just love a running quarterback that can also throw. Like Deshaun Watson was awesome last year, but I can't imagine how much better he's going to be this year. So yeah, you like Try them. you like you like to pull that BS where you tuck and run. I I'm still playing like Madden Four with Michael Vick. Dude, that's how I used to rock it, man. Michael Vick yeah. was my boy. <laughs> It's insane. I used McNab- I, I used McNabb for a while, but then they started docking him on speed points. I mean, Michael Vick was great. exactly you like just early do- McNabb was good. And then he slowed down. Dude, QB waggle with Michael Vick. That was my that was my John, as they say. You have to run the the, the full house. Um, with Algie Crumpler was in there. Um, fullback was this guy Lane. I don't remember who he was. Warg Dunn. I can remember the whole team from that Falcons just because just from playing that game. You can probably also remember that was fifteen years ago. You can probably also remember the whole team from the Falcons from last year because that's the, that was my squad that I used to. That was. That was. I was uh, me and Matty Ice, just a deadly combination. Forgets forgets. Well, these. you you play like you, you're like too real. You're like changing up all the formations and doing all this goofy stuff. Goofies. You act like you're like uh, Jim Johnson back there. Hey, what, what's the scoreboard say? Just play say? the game. What's the scoreboard say? Yeah, that's my game is right. the my game, the, is game. the win. My game is the win. <laughs> you got to run the ball, control the clock, confuse them at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Dude, you got to get with the times, brother. You either want to win. A new year, we'll see. I want winners. I'm like Michael. I'm like Mike, Mike Singletary, except I don't drop, <laughs> I don't drop my pants in the middle of the game. You can't, you can't win with them. All right, let's talk about football because I suspect right. no I, baseball. Or I'm sorry, let's talk about baseball. America's pastime, as they call it. Some, some you might not know this, but some call it America's pastime. Uh, the Phillies have been quite adept at America's pastime this year. This past series against the Diamondbacks, notwithstanding, they're coming off. We're recording this on a Thursday. They're coming off a. Vintage outing against a lefty, you could say, because Patrick Corbin did to this Phillies team what lefties of his ilk used to do to the Phillies back when they had Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Raul Banez and all those lefty sluggers that couldn't hit a slider with their life. Um, what did you take out of Wednesday's defeat at the hands of Sir Corbin? And do you think this changes your approximation of where they stand as, in regards to legitimate contention? Um, obviously Patrick Corbin is, you know, having a great year and he's tough. And like you said, a lefty with a nice slider and you don't see many lefties, you know, in the game now. So when you do face a lefty, I think it's even tougher than it was six years ago because you're not seeing that often. And when you do it, it's even tougher, but, um, for legitimate contention, I still think they're the favorites to win the NL East, but I don't know, like, you know, if it's, are we talking like legitimate contention defined by, you know, winning the world series or, you know, winning the pennant, but just in short term, like the immediacy to, to make the playoffs, I think they're still, which, which actually, I, I think I changed my opinions since last week, but I, I still think they're the favorite to win the NL East. 
You know, it's interesting you bring that up about the left-handed pitching. The Phillies have, have faced just 26 left-handed starters this year. They are 14-12 and 12 against them, 50-38 and 38 against righties. And that's pretty much par for the eh, – I don't know if I would say that. Uh, their struggles have been particularly uh, acute against lefties compared to the rest of the league. The Diamondbacks, 23-19 against lefties, 41-33 and 33 against righties. Are you sure it's a trend, or do you think it's just the Phillies can't hit lefties? I think they just they faced a really good lefty yesterday. You know, I think if, um, I don't think it's like a blanket statement that they just can't hit lefties. But well, I mean, they're, four, they're, they're gonna... they've got a 500 record against them versus 12 games over 500 uh, against righties. So I don't know if it's yeah, but you're you're facing more righties, you have, and you're facing more bad righties, and too. So like the numbers, I don't think are going to work out. I and mean, just like if you just put them righty righty lefty split. Isn't really a fair way to do it. No, I'm just comparing their performance against left against lefty starters compared with the rest of the league's performance against lefty starters compared to the performance against righty starters, and just eyeballing it. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're a little worse. They're a little worse for the wear. I mean, it's, I think, it's a lineup that's not that's made to hit right-handed hitters. So, I mean, yeah, that's probably the problem. It's interesting though because they're I mean their best hitters are righty. And then they've got a bunch of switch hitters that, that um, I don't know. Well, here's the question. Who, who would you least like to face in the first round? Because so right now we've got. Your options are. Right now we've got. Well, let me set it up here. We've got the Cubs okay. and the Dodgers. Um, at this point, I think the most likely scenario is the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers facing the Brewers or the Cubs in the playing game. I mean, you can call it a wild card game if you want, but it is what it is. It's a playing game, and I is think it in Dayton, Ohio. It is in Dayton, Ohio. That or or uh, uh, Greensboro. It uh, <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? It would be. They really should. They, they play should, in like a minor league baseball stadium or they something. Ab- they absolutely should do that. They should play down at Tanny on a uh, tenth and Christian. <laughs> Have Monet throughout the first pitch. Have Monet. Th- yeah, what is she up to these days? Uh, she was at the ballpark recently. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, she, they have like RBI kids since it, the pitchers don't shag batting practice anymore. They have RBI kids do it and her and uh, a couple other kids from that team did it the other day. Well, they're not really kids. Is she still in high school? Yeah, they're still in high school. It's only wow. been four years. So they're like juniors in high school, I think now. Good. I'm not, a, I'm not as old as I think, uh. It's not. They're not at the where are they now piece yet. That that that's like right two years away. We will be all over that. We will be all. I over actually would be are. interested. I'm just curious to see where, like, what college or what those kids end up doing. All right, that, so, was, that was that was a cool. I got to cover it. It was fun. So right now, but anyway, move along. Right now, I mean, the dream scenario I think would be the Cubs and the Dodgers having to face each other in the first round, uh, and then the winner of that game playing the D-backs in the second round, and the Phillies then facing your NL Central champion Milwaukee Brewers in the first round. That's uh, within the realm of possibility as things stand right now on paper, but I think things are trending in a different direction. Uh, Cubs have been on a 97-win pace since May 7th, 103-win pace since June 28th. The Brewers, they are 31-31 and since May 29th. Uh, Phillies are 35-28 and in that stretch for whatever that's worth. Who do you think wins the Central? Let's let's go piece by piece. Who do you think wins the Central, Cubs or Brewers? I, I think the Cubs. I agree with you. I think they win that going away. I think the real question is, can any of these teams behind Milwaukee catch up to the Brewers? And, again, you, you would say probably not because they've got a five-and-a-half game lead or whatever on, on the Nationals, Cardinals, Pirates, Rockies, I guess you can throw in there. But, again, they haven't been playing great baseball uh, I think their starting rotation leaves a little bit to be desired. Would you uh, would you still pencil in Milwaukee for one of those wild card spots? Yeah, probably. But, Especially if, like just looking at it now, it's you know Milwaukee. How about Atlanta's in the wild card right now? Which I didn't know about till this morning. Yeah, Atlanta. Um, Atlanta right now with 60, the Dodgers. Yeah, right, Atlanta, away. Atlanta. Atlanta right now sixty two and forty nine. I, I guess the real question is whether any of those teams can catch the Braves for that second wild card spot. Uh, that's probably a little bit. Yeah, which I think like 
definitely. Like you have the Dodgers, the Rockies are going to they're going to play each other too. But I think that second wild card is probably like I, I think we talked about this on the last show that I don't think it's coming from the East. But yeah. uh, but it could. I mean, if the Braves have it right now, so. All right, so I think that I think the second wild card comes from, is the second place team in the West. All right, so I'm filling when out your, it's all said and done. I'm filling out your bracket here, and you've got Milwaukee as as one of the wild cards penciled in. Uh, the big question, I mean, to me, the two teams to watch down the stretch, and it's going to be fascinating, are the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. They uh, yeah, they, they, they've been Arizona's been playing at a 96 win pace since May 28th. The Dodgers have been at a 98 win pace since July 1st. Alex Wood is on the DL with hamstring strain. That complicates matters, but Ross Stripling, Stripling or Stripling? First, uh, I actually don't know. Ross, I'm not sure. Well, I guess Philly's faced him, I, guess, I don't remember. I guess there's two questions. How was it actually pronounced, and how does Northeast Philly pronounce it? Uh, so pr- chances are Ross S. Yeah, Ross S. Um, <laughs> Ross Bag of Donuts. <laughs> That's not Northeast Philly. <laughs> um, so the Dodgers... Uh, yeah, the Dodgers and D-backs, and they've both got they've they've both got some interesting schedules coming up uh, down the stretch. I added this up, and twenty of the Phillies right now, twenty three of their last forty eight games are against teams that are out of contention, uh, below five hundred. The Dodgers, though, they're right behind them at twenty of forty six, and then the Diamondbacks at nineteen of forty five. Who would you, uh, right now, as we record this podcast, the Dodgers are a half game back of the D-backs in the NL West. Uh, I'm a Diamondbacks believer. They've kind of been one of those organizations I've ragged on a little bit over the last five or six years, but but uh, they've got the lineup, they've got the big piece in Goldschmidt, and they've got the two starters at the top of the rotation, and that's a great formula for winning a lot of games down the stretch. They've also been, and, and this is something i'd be interested to get your thoughts on the phillies have been absolutely putrid on the road 26 and 32 they're the only of, of those contenders that we've rattled off there they're the only team that have a, has a below 500 record on the road of course that also means they've been great at home 38 and 18 but the the dodgers and d-backs have both been good on the road do you think that's a factor and how would you handicap that nl west race down the stretch I'm I'm putting I'll disagree and put the Dodgers atop the NL West and then so then my second wild card team would be the Diamondbacks with the Brewers. Right. And then you would have the so that would be the wild card winner or the playing game winner as you said opening up in Chicago. Right? And then so the Phillies would get the Dodgers in the first round. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's to yeah, to, that, to circle back to like the, I mean you would the Phillies would open up well then possibly not because it's so close to you know if they'd open up home or not right now they would and and there's that's where I think the key is that the Phillies have to with talking about how bad they are on the road they have to guarantee those first two games are at yeah, home I, if they have a shot to win an NLDS but against I, the Dodgers I don't that's that's tough if they're you know if, like if you're you're going from possibly playing the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round to playing the Dodgers. Like that's that's a, you know that's a huge difference in my opinion. All right, well let's forget about the brew crew and let, let's focus on just the most likely scenarios. And I think far and away the most likely scenario is the Cubs keep on keeping on and run away with that division. Yeah, you're right. Win it by five six games. And given given the Brewers' record right now, I, I would agree that the most likely scenario is that they finish as as one of the two wild cards. So, like you said, the question essentially comes down to, and I'm also I'm also projecting the Cubs to finish with the best record in in the National League. I think they've there's nothing as of late that has indicated that 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 will not be the case. So the question then that I that I initially asked and we should circle back to is who who would you least like to face, the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers in the first round? Where, uh, where are the first two games at? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. See, this is going to be. This is going to be. I think if is, you're playing the Diamondbacks, like I, I would probably rather play the Diamondbacks. But if you're going out there and you're facing, um, you know, the pitchers you face this week, Cranky and uh, what's his name? Who who that catch? What's the left hander's name? Corbin. 
Why am I blanking out? Yeah, Patrick Corbin. If you're facing Corbin and Cranky, I think you're, you know, going out there to face him, too, you're in trouble. But if you're coming here, maybe that, you know, that kind of swings it a little bit, that if you're getting Corbin and Cranky at Citizens Bank Park, I mean, may, maybe that helps. I, I just, I think it's tough, but I'd rather, I'd rather not face Manny Machado in the playoffs, and I'd rather go against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer is the Dodgers, and, and not just because. So I, I think you, there's there's an argument you could make that you'd it's a push between Kershaw and whoever the game two starter would be for the Dodgers versus Greinke and Corbin, but where it's not a push is games three and four, and I think that's where the Dodgers really kind of separate themselves from maybe even maybe even the Cubs. I mean, you've got. Assuming, uh, even if Alex Wood is not healthy, I mean, Dodgers essentially have three Game 2 quality starters that will be starting in Game 3 and 4. I mean, Kenton Maida this season has been great. 3.73 ERA, not great, but a 3.19 FIP, courtesy of a great strikeout rate, 10.7 Ks per nine. You've got Rich Hill who's got the experience, who's, who, you know, I mean, they're all pretty much either on Jake Arrieta's level or, or pitching better than him this year. And then you've also yeah, got... Yeah, there's guys you all, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, you're facing guys that have been in the playoffs before and right. Rich Hill's tough, tough left-hander. Ken, Ken and has been there. Like, I mean, it's not... And then you've got... Stru- they're you've not got, worrying about how the Phillies are worrying about how are they going to even find a game three pitcher right now. And then you've got Stripling and Walker Bueller who who've may, may be pitching as, as well as any of them as of right now. So I, I mean, think it's Stripling. I'm going to call him Stripling. All right, I'm going to go Stripling. All I right. think I'm right. All right, cool. Um, so, I mean, they're going to have they're going to they're going to have a situation where their number five starter is is going to be coming out of the bullpen, and he's going to be he's going to be a a force to be reckoned with. If you were the Phillies, how many starters do you have in the NLDS? Uh, so, how does it set up? Does it go games one and two off day, games three and four off day? Because um, doesn't he, it gets a little funky quick. on one of the? Uh, there there have been seasons, if I recall, where the schedule sets up where at least one NLDS series y- you can you can use only three starters on normal rest, right or no? So the yeah, the, let's say the DS begins on Thursday is game one. Friday, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday. So there's a day off after game two. And then Monday is game four. And then there's a day off before game five. I would not. I, I mean, I think I would. I don't think I would start anybody on short rest. Unless, yeah, yeah. Your, your game one starter would have to start on short rest. I don't think I would do that, especially if your game one starters. Start Nola. game four. I don't think it's. I don't yeah. think it's worth it. I think what you do is you you back up. Um, you back up your game four starter, have a short hook with him, and and then you know have Eflin or somebody ready. I guess the question we should ask to, to begin is who would your game three starter be? Uh, I suspect it would be Pavetta. Am I wrong with that? No, I agree. I, I would go with him. Just unless, be- like you know, over the next six weeks or whatever, somebody really. Of Velasquez or F one separates themselves and makes you think otherwise. But right now, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, this is more of an eye test thing because Vinny V's numbers have have been better. But Pavetta just seems like a guy who who's more in control out there. Is that mm-hmm. is that uh? He just seems like he might have more of the mentality. I mean, I hate arguments. Yeah, no, I, I hate arguments like that. But just... when he's pitching, I have more confidence in what's going to happen i think he seems like more at ease on the mound or more like i don't know if confidence is the right word but like just i just feel more comfortable with him out there knowing you know what you're going to get like he on monday or tuesday night whatever night this week he pitched they all won together so late at night but you know he he gave you the six innings like you knew you were going to get six innings out of him the way he was pitching and he racks up the strikeout numbers and I think he's like only getting better as the season goes on where he's limiting those like one or two big mistakes he makes a game he's cut, cutting back on them but yet he's still striking out you know nine to twelve guys a night so I think there's a very good chance by the end of the season you know it's like 
you know, he's really pitching great, and you know there's no doubt that he would be your game three starter. I think I think what I'm trying to say is that I think there's less of a chance that Nick Pavetta goes out there and hangs a 10 spot up in, in the first three innings. I mean, yeah, that, which he has done, but he, I, I think those days are – they seem like that's few and far between and kind of behind him at this point. I, I'd be surprised if, you know, his, even like his next start, he went out and did that, and let alone in game three of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see how – Kapler would manage such such a situation. I mean, you for, with both of those guys, there's an argument that you put them out there, you start the game, and, and at the first whiff of trouble, a la Bruce Bochy in, in 2011, you go to your pen and bring in whether yeah. it's Eflin or De Los Santos. Or, I, I guess the other thing you have to factor in is which one of those guys do you think would be best coming out of the bullpen unscheduled? I mean, do you think Pavetta or Velasquez is equally equally capable of, of doing that, or do you think one has more ability than the other to do such a thing? I would love to see Velasquez in a, like a playoff atmosphere out of the bullpen. Like even if it was just for like one or two innings at the most, you know, even just one, just one inning, and he gives you like that Sir Anthony type of use where you can slot him in any big situation. And you know, you know, he's facing three batters, and it, I think that's like the perfect situation for him in a, especially in a short series, that you would have him one game. You wouldn't have to use Sir Anthony every single game. You could, you know, maybe use Velasquez to eat up one of those spots. And I just, I think if you start Pavetta, and then where if you know, then you run F one behind him if he runs into trouble or the other way around. I just think that that would be the best spot for Velasquez to kind of be your army knife in the bullpen. Or are we are we discounting Zach Eflin too much? Over his last 10 starts, he has a 3.22 ERA. And if you want to talk about command, poise, consistency, he has not allowed more than four runs in an outing over that stretch. He is not a guy who, who has been prone to the beginning, at least not this year. Uh, I, now, granted, a lot of, a lot of his more successful outings of as of late have come against you know the Mets the Reds the Marlins but the Orioles but he has that uh, he has that June 27th game against the Yankees where he pitched seven scoreless struck out six uh he's beat the, beat the Brewers twice the Cubs uh, I mean what do you think is there an argument that he's your game three starter you back him up with either Pavetta or Velasquez and then and then Put the other one in the pen for, or put the other one on the mound for Game Four. Go. Yeah, I think it definitely like that. It's not out of the question that Zach Eflin would be your Game Three starter. It's just that as of right now, there's like I would go Nick Pavetta, but that could change in in six or seven weeks, however many weeks there are left till the end of September. And and I'm not saying it's like out of the question that you ask me six weeks from now and you know it's a slam dunk that it's Zach Eflin. So it's just these final two months are going to determine, you know, a lot of things. It's going to determine, A, if the Phillies can even make the playoffs. But I think it's also going to shake out the rotation on its own, and then it's going to, we're going to have a more clear picture at the end of this of, you know, who that Game 3 starter is. Patrick Corbin, by the way, I should have mentioned this. I've written about this a little bit. He's going to be a free agent this season. What did you think out of him? Do you think he might be a target for the Phillies? Uh, he's He would definitely be a nice target, but I'm just trying to, like, if you follow – what the Phillies have said about starting pitchers and on free agency and especially in the trade market this, this summer where they didn't want to trade for a starting pitcher. And they also have said you, they don't want to buy their pitchers. You, you Andy McPhail said you, you grow your pitchers and you buy your hitters. So that makes me wonder if they would actually go after a free agent pitcher. But if the money is spent, if if it's not, if it's failed to be spent on, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper this winter, then I think you're going to have to spend it somewhere, obviously. Right. And maybe you do go get a frontline starter. And uh, but and I, I don't think there's like they have good pitchers in AAA, but they don't have guys that are like that. You are wow. You know I can't believe they signed Patrick Corbin and now Cole Irvin or Daniel De Los Santos doesn't have a spot in the rotation. Or like I just think it, it wouldn't hurt to sign a guy like that. But if you're signing a starting pitcher to a six or seven year deal like that's those days are over I mean, that's 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 the kind of stuff they want to avoid but also the market last year probably adjusted itself that 
I don't think starting pitchers are going to get six or seven year deals this year. Yeah, so it's think, going to be interesting to see how the market kind of responds to what happened last winter. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, I think the the thought process on my end is that if they do not get Manny Machado, which I think is is a distinct possibility, or, or Bryce Harper, which again I think there's a solid chance that he resigns in Washington. As you said, they have this money and it's doing them no good just sitting, you know, sitting in the bank account. They're going to have to spend it somewhere. And it might not be plan A, but if they strike out on Machado and Harper, maybe a pitcher is where you want to overpay a little bit. I don't know. The other guy uh, on the Diamondbacks who will be a free agent is A.J. Pollock. But again, outfielder, uh, A.J. Pollock, 889 OPS this year, 15 home runs. Center fielder. And then maybe that frees you up to trade one of those outfielders for for starting pitching. I just think that what we've seen is that they they do need to address starting pitching at some point because we should not be having this conversation about who your game three starter is. That being said, Corbin, who could very well head up the class this year, free agent class this year, if Clayton Kershaw ends up re-upping with the Dodgers or or, or does not opt out. I'm a Corbin fan. I, I remember watching him go toe-to-toe with Cole Hamels in 2013 in his second year in the majors and being very impressed. He shut down the Phillies, although that Phillies lineup was not necessarily a murderer's row. That being said, he, he's he's a different pitcher from what I remember after having watched him yesterday against the Phillies. He, he used to rely on his fastball a lot more. He used to have a, a lot more bite on his fastball. And if you look at the numbers – that fastball is his velo on his fastball is down a couple ticks this year. He was sitting at 92 when he was at his when I saw him, and even last year I think he was sitting at 92. And yesterday he was he was anywhere between 89 and 91, topping out at 92, 93 on occasion. And if you look at his breakdown, he's pretty much been the pitcher that he was yesterday, relying very heavily on that slider, throwing it 40 percent of the time. He's thrown his fastball less than 50% of the time. Back in 2013, he was 68% fastball. So maybe that's a cause for concern. That being said, you could argue he's also the kind of guy who ages well, hits his spots with his fastball, has that off-speed pitch. He's not a he's not a front-line starter like I might have projected him five years ago. I think in a playoff rotation, he's, he's in a perfect world, your number four starter could easily get by as a number three starter. But I think these, this is the kind of calculus the Phillies are going to have to do this offseason if, again, their plan A does not come through and they don't end up adding that big bat to anchor the lineup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, like, I, I think, just, like, thinking out loud, I think your number three or four starter would be um, Sixto Sanchez if he didn't get hurt, which is, like, crazy to think. But I envisioned – Last year, if the Phillies were in a race last year, I think they would have been tempted to put him in the bullpen in September. And this year, if he didn't get hurt and the Phillies are in the race and say he's right now at he's at Reading by now if he's not hurt. Possibly, you know, you're bumping him to AAA this month if he's not hurt, hurt right now. Yeah, and I think there's a chance that he's and it's a, which is just in an alternate universe that that would be pretty crazy if Sixto was, you know, possibly pitching the playoff game right now. Yeah, and in an alternate universe, Abraham Lincoln would have had a nice after-play drink. But that's true. I just you just made me think of that when we were when you were talking. That's all. I got you. I see where you're coming from. There are parallel yeah. universes. So uh, that that is the one. Well, no, there's a couple guys which, at the in the mind. That's you know, like looking forward. Six or Sanchez is in your playoff rotation eventually, so I mean, like it's like at least like you're not maybe this time next year if the Phillies are in the race again. I don't think we're having the same conversation. I think there's better options. Yeah, but it, I mean, Six are going to be back next year. The find option, unless he has Tommy John, but I don't think that's supposed, the Phillies are confident he's going to be pitching in the end of this month. Oh, really? I did not realize so, that. Yeah. So Six or Sanchez will be pitching at the end of this month in Clearwater. According to the Phillies, According, so we'll, we'll, see, we'll see when that when that happens. And then will they send him That's, to the fall league? Maybe. Uh, I I would say probably not. 
So what is? I mean, what is the story? He's high pitched in Clearwater. Well, give us give us what you know about Sixto right now. What he was shut down when May? Uh, yeah, it was early, and he hasn't pitched since. And the company lines—they're so, just being ultra cautious, but they don't think surgery is. Yeah, in the future? And I think that you know they don't have a reason to, you know, to be super. Um, you know, not cautious with them, or you know, kind of no reason to, uh, to push them too too hard. Well, I guess the argument would be the reason would be to find out if he's going to need Tommy John and get it over with if that's going to be the case. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. So no. if, he, if he comes back in August, he makes a couple of starts, and then Clearwater makes the playoffs, so then I'll have a chance to pitch in the playoffs with them. He's been on the DL since June. And then what's Adonis Medina's what's Adonis Medina's sitch situation? Um, let me see. He did not get traded for Manny Machado. That's that's the latest situation. News alert. And he 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 pitched uh, two innings on the other day. He he's um he's he's fine. He's healthy. He's not. But I, I was talking about more in terms of next year. Are we? Is he a guy who the organization thinks could be a factor in the second half of next year? Yeah, because he's so he's a clear winner, so he opens up a Reading. Um, you know, once you're at Reading, you're really right there. So if he if he has a great start at Reading, pushes a Triple A, then you're talking about him for the second half of next season. So there's like those are the two guys at the top that we're not even at the top yet, but in the system that I can envision being a, like in the conversation at this time next year for you know three or four starters. Yeah, I mean Medina's not necessarily young. He's going to be 22 next year. He's a couple of years older than six, though, right? Yeah. And he'll have to be on the f- – is he on the 40-man or will he have to be after this year? He will have to be. Yeah, I mean, if he's not on the 40-man right now, he'll definitely have to be after this year. Yeah. And at that point, who knows? What uh, What's the prog- – since we're on this topic, what about Anyel? What's the, what's the thought of what he will contribute down the stretch, if anything? Is he just going to be – on the shuttle whenever they need an arm, or is there a chance that he sticks? I think he's going to be like how they used him yesterday. He called him up for really just to be in the bullpen and for length. And and maybe if they get creative with like a starting rotation, which has been thrown out there, but Gabe Kapler kind of shot it down last week that they would get do anything like – out of the norm where they would have maybe a guy throw like a three inning starter or followed by another three inning starter just to manage the innings. But I don't think you can do that when you're in a playoff race. Like, you know, like you have to, you, you prepared Aaron Nola and Vince Velasquez and Nick Favetta the last three years, really by shutting them down in September or shutting them down throughout the season to gauge their innings. So I don't think there's a reason to really modify the rotation in September and that's the only chance that De Los Santos would pitch is if you, you know, modify the rotation. Where I think if if you you're, he'll be on the team in September when rosters expand, obviously, and if he's there to give you, like, be a long man or maybe something a little bit more than that out of the bullpen, that's about the only role. But then on a playoff roster, he could come in the handy when, you know, you're talking about really having to use that modified rotation for game three and four and, and being cautious with guys. And maybe it's not even like um, Vince Velasquez and Nick Favetta get pulled at the first sign of trouble. Maybe you just set, you know, they're going to go twice through the order and that's it. And then, and then we're going to bring in Dale Santos or then we're going to bring in Zach Eflin. So what do you, what, what do you think of the hubbub about Gabe Kapler's decision-making a couple nights ago in that extra innings game? Fair. Uh, I mean, it's fair to criticize him for sure, but I think like the thought process, because it goes either way. It's one of those things where then a fly ball is hit to left field that's well, so not tell, tracked tell, down by Reese Hoskins. Tell us what we're talking about. Walk, walk me through So that. Reese Hoskins and his Drupal Cabrera were both, were both subbed out in the eighth, after the eighth inning for Roman Quinn and Scott Scott. Uh, Scott at a shortstop and 
obviously defensive replacements. So you took your best two bats out of the lineup for the for the when you needed them when game went fourteen innings. And I, I agree that you shouldn't like you shouldn't be subbing Reese Hoskins out. It's just like I, you, I think you have, it's not you have to live with him. Like he's he's your best he's your best hitter, and he he's not a good defender. But I think you you know you have to kind of go down with him. You weren't up twenty runs, you were up two, which still is usually a safe lead with Sir Anthony. But I just. I don't like, uh, but it's not an argument that I'm going to like crucify a guy over. This is, this wasn't like pulling Aaron Nolan opening day was like a thousand times worse than this was because they, they still had a chance to win. And you still had, um, you know, your best pitcher on the mound in the ninth inning who blew a lead. So I don't, it's, it's tough, but I think he, maybe he learned, he he's learned from mistakes in the past and Gabe's, shown a re- ability to adapt which i think is probably his best characteristic that he can adapt when he when he messes up and he can admit it even if he's you know doesn't publicly come out and admit it i think he internally files it away and i, I think you'll you won't see a double defensive replacement in the ninth inning with you know on the road and with a swim lead yeah i mean you're up you're up to nothing in arizona which you know is not I mean, the problem is in Arizona is I think you're you're worried about. I think far more likely is what ended up happening. A home run is involved, and there's no way to defend a home run except to not let a guy hit it. I I'm never I'm never yeah. a fan of taking your best hitter out of the lineup. I don't care what kind of defender he is. I mean, I get it. I I get where the thought process was. Uh, the Kingery thing, you know. It would just be nice to have a guy who could actually put together an at bat, who could come off the bench and play shortstop. You know. Yeah. What do you think? Like, what? What? How would you handle him going forward? I mean, if you really don't have any other options, you, you're not going to send him down to AAA for what twenty more games. I mean, that, that exactly. Everyone's like sending him to the minors. Like the season's pretty much over. So yeah, you can't. I would have been in favor of that two months ago, when he wasn't. Yeah. He just wasn't getting better at the plate. But right now, all that can do is further compound matters, and not re- there's really just not much to gain for twenty games in the minors. I mean, at this point, you just kind of have to roll with as uh, as, as Drupal and, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like he's he's Ozzy Smith out there either. Like, I, I you know, in terms of Kennedy, I think that I think yeah. that you kind of just have to roll with as Drupal. And I mean, that was your move. Look, it's, this is not a perfect roster. We knew this. I, I do understand the argument that trying to overmanage things and hoping, you know, managing with the thought that you have talent that you just don't have that that can only compound matters. You know, I know Roman Quinn has gotten some big hits off the bench, but again, I'm, I don't have any confidence in him at the plate either, unless you're talking about leading off an inning with a bunt. You know? Yeah, that's not because there's one argument it was like, you know, we still had a Roman Quinn in there. Like, R- Roman Quinn is not Reese Hoskins. Like, you know, it's not that is def- no that is respect to Roman that Quinn. is definite. That is definitive. I can confirm. Yeah. So, thank you. But it's a, it's like, come on, uh, that's not it's not apple, apples there. We're not they're not two equal parts. It's one thing, he's not an automatic out, but he's not your best hitter. But then again, if a fly ball is hit the left field and Reese Hoskins doesn't track it down or misplays, it, everyone's like, oh my god, Gabe Kapler is such a moron. He didn't take out. Yeah, Reese Hoskins like so, should have. So, here's so my th- it's like one of those things you can't win, but it blew up in an, a very unlikely way, but also a way that it's not like it, you didn't have to do that. No. So here's my thing with Kapler and the criticism and people. I, I had this exchange with an emailer or a Twitterer the other day. Yes, he he has made when you manage the way Gabe Kapler manages, there are going to be some egregiously glaring instances when you can point to negative outcomes and say, this is why you don't manage that way. The problem is it's almost like the inverse of not being able to prove a negative, or maybe it is just not being able to prove a negative. All of those times when he has made those decisions and they've resulted in these little slices of added win probability that, that nobody really notices because nothing went wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a day. Yeah. I think it was a game in Miami when like, uh, yeah, he subbed out Nick Williams for Aaron Altair. And it was like a move that you would never think like, it just wasn't a. It wasn't. Even, it was just a move, and it wasn't a big deal. But then Aaron Altair is like tracks down this ridiculous catch in the ninth inning, and it's like, well, he's only in the game right now because Gabe, you know, subbed him, subbed the Williams out for Aaron Altair, and it's. But it's a thing that like gets lost 
in it because it's like it's like when a punter, a field goal kicker misses a short field goal, and that's what you remember. You don't miss, I don't remember the make. So right, you kind of have to live with that. And essentially, what I said that, that was essentially my point to uh, that was essentially my point to the Twitter is that look, my thing with Capo is this: I can't build a conclusive case, but the fact is, this is a Phillies team that nobody expected would be in the position that they're in, and I suspect that. A lot of it has to do, or at least a statistically significant weight has to do with Gabe Kapler's management of this team, whether it's more abstract stuff like keeping them locked in, keeping them with that mentality that that each of them takes to the plate and grinds out these at-bats. But I also think there's more concrete stuff that maybe you could point to. And if you looked at all those times when he made decisions like that, I suspect that he has won more of them than he's lost. You know whether that's yeah having a pitcher throw a Defense pitch in a certain shifts. yeah whether that's a shift whether that's you know a pitcher throwing a pitch in a certain count whether that's taking his starter out in the sixth inning I think that as Tommy Hunter said I was talking to Tommy Hunter the other day and I wrote this in a column a couple days later look these veterans think the same things that we we thought when when you see this because they're just not used to it and you could tell that I think the Ariettas and the Hunters and whoever whoever the other you know, maybe the Nishaks would watch games the mm-hmm. same way we would, and they would say, what is this guy doing? But, I mean, Hunter said, essentially, look, it's August, and we are where we are, and there's got to be kind of a method behind it, you know? And I yeah. think that moments like the other night, the argument, my argument would be moments like the other night are going to happen, and you don't want Gabe Kapler to change his managing style because it's a management, it's a managing style based on large sample sizes and the notion that in the long run this is the best way to manage. And two, this is that's not what's wrong with this team. That's not why this team is not going to win, you know, a World Series. And I think you give give him leeway in this. Now, if he's if if these moves are backfiring on him when they when they have a the definitively better team, that's one thing. But right now they're they're they're. Uh, they're somehow scrapping it together, and, and I think you have to assume that his way of doing things is partially responsible, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. There was also, uh, back to Roman Quinn, this was the game I was thinking of. It was uh, August 3rd in Miami, and I think he might have done the exact same thing that he did. I don't think he took Reese Hoskins out, but he might have taken Nick Williams out. And... I was, uh, he pinched it for Vince Velasquez with Roman Quinn in the eighth, and then he doubled. Wait, August third in Miami. Uh, I'm sorry, August third against against. Ah, uh, what am I looking? Yeah, August third in Miami. Uh, no, at Citizens Bank Park against Miami. Uh, home, home. Okay, yeah, it was not Miami on August third. It was the eighth inning, and Roman Quinn pinch hit for Osdrubal Cabrera. That's what happened, and he ended mm-hmm. up. Uh, he ended up what did he end up doing a big double yeah he hit a big double yeah and i remember before yeah. the, when he, when they pinch it for uh wait what actually ended up happening here i'm looking at the game log right now do you remember it off the top of your head i know quinn hit it came in and hit a big double to stay stressed out like it was a single stretch no a double wasn't oh it? here we go here we go it was in the it was in the eighth inning bottom of the eighth Roman Quinn had replaced Asdrubal Cabrera in left field after Cabrera had pinch hit, and then Roman came in. Roman Quinn came in and hit a uh, a two run double that gave the Phillies a uh, five one lead. Five one lead, and I, I was at that game. I think that's why I remember. Oh, maybe I wasn't at that game. Whatever the case, I remember thinking before that at bat, like or before. He, he switched Roman Quinn in. Like, why is Roman Quinn in this game? You know, you're taking out a veteran hitter, putting Roman Quinn in. But, you know, the, it's moments like that where, where you know, you don't remember. And, frankly, Roman Quinn had a uh, – didn't Roman Quinn have a double the other night? Yeah. I mean, Roman Quinn – I'm a big Roman Quinn guy. I think he's really good. I just don't think you can't take out Reese Hoskins. When I get you, it. When you, you know, you might need the bat. That, yeah, that's just where it is. I agree, and but I don't obviously, think... Obviously, defensively, I think he's awesome. I think he's great on the base pass. He's a huge upgrade over what 
they carried on the bench for the first like you know four months of the season but it just it's like they're not it's not he's not equal part so like well it's not a big deal he's you know we took Reese Hoskins how we have Ron Quinn in there yeah I'm not, I'm that, not that's and, not a and by no means am I by no means am I suggesting that Gabe Kapler is immune to criticism and I think that in that instance, I, I certainly would have left Reese Hoskins in the ball game, and I would have said that at the time. That being said, I just think that the totality, you know, you win some, you lose some, and I don't think it's anything to tar and feather the guy over given given the way this season Same. has gone. Let's, uh, let's yeah, get... I mean, that's a, we can move on from that one. It's not, that's not like the biggest deal in the world. What, it, what could be a big deal is the guy you mentioned, the guy who, whose responsibility it was to protect that two-run lead, and if he does – we're not even talking about this. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, do you see any signs of trouble? Or is this just a rare blip on the radar for the young the young man? Well, he's never pitched this much of the season, obviously. He's never been used like this. He was a starting pitcher just a few months ago. So this is when, if a guy is going to run into trouble, it would be in you know August and September, and that's what it's starting to look like. But it could be just a blip. Sunday, he gave up the home run, but it was like a slider that Justin Bohr really had no business golfing out of the ballpark, and he did. And he struck out the other three guys he faced. So that that can be kind of washed washed away. And then the other night was not his best night. That was that was like the one that was the, the big night that you thought maybe that this guy might be in trouble. But um, they're off today. Um, they're playing the Padres this weekend. If you if Gabe could avoid using him in two of those three games in San Diego, which is fair, you know the Phillies take care of business that they really shouldn't need Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know, every single night out there. So if you could give him off today, he didn't pitch yesterday, and then two of the three days in San Diego, I think that's what what he needs more than anything. It's just a little bit of rest and yep. some, some time down. So- and I think you know you need to really be cautious and I think Gabe had mentioned the other night that he's realized that the best he Sir Anthony's at his best when he's not on back-to-back days or he's pitching just two out of three days and I think that's what they're going to really get back to how they used him in the beginning of the season they're really cautious when he first called team up they want to get a feel for him and then you know he pitched so well that it was so hard to, to not use him so often so but i think now you you really need to get back to the way they were in may when he came up just be super cautious with him since a 10-day layoff that included the all-star break sir anthony dominguez has pitched in eight games and allowed 13 of the 33 batters he has faced to reach base that's a 424 clip the concerning thing i think or the notable thing in that is the seven walks which is something that not, has has not been a huge problem for him this year. He's still getting balls on the ground. Uh, it's just the command that uh, you know that has kind of plagued him. That seven walks and I'm sorry, 14 of I, I missed it hit by pitch. 14 of 33 batters have reached base. Seven walks and a hit by pitch against nine strikeouts. I saw somebody on Twitter the other day mention that his velocity may have been down a little bit, or, or there's less movement on his pitches. Is that just yeah, I think it's the movement. It's um the movement of his slider is down this month. This month meaning August, the three the three three uh outings he's added. Yeah, August. in August. Or it's, it's, everything's really everything's moving way less in August. Just change up sinker, four seam and slider in August than it was in um you know, since May. And in the kids' defense, so, he, I guess this. so he has pitched on one, two, three, four, five of the last eight days, which again his is, velocity is still pretty much the same. It's like you know, it's still it was ninety eight in the last month. It's ninety seven. So yeah. I mean, it's a tick down, but it's still it's still up there. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about. I mean, guys go through mechanical struggles all the time. They just get hit in because they've got other guys who can pick them up in the bullpen, and that just hasn't that hasn't been always been the case this year. I mean. The crazy thing about Dominguez is he's he's been there, you know, K Rod, essentially back mm-hmm. from his heyday in in the uh, in the Angels organization. They've they've kind of been calling on him as their ultimate weapon out of the pen. Um, but as you said on on back to back days this season, 
He has a 9.82 ERA. He's pitched nine times on back-to-back days. 9.82 ERA. 11 strikeouts against eight walks. With 18 of 40 batters. So on back-to-back days, nearly 50% of the batters he faces have reached base. Eight of them scoring for a 9.82 ERA. On one day of rest, he's been fine. 1.20 ERA. Has not allowed a earned run on zero days of rest. So, so on, when he's not pitching on back-to-back days, he has held opposing batters to three earned runs in 29 and two-thirds innings. Actually, more than that. 30, 30, three earned runs in 32 innings, not on back-to-back, versus eight earned runs in seven and a third innings on back-to-back. I, I mean, is that enough of a sample size to say he should not be pitching on back-to-back days? Yeah, or, or not that he. If you can avoid it, avoid it. And I think you can avoid it now with the way Tommy Hunter's pitching, and the way Pat Nishak's pitching. And the interesting thing that you know Nishak also needs to be managed the right way. You know, doesn't like to pitch back back, or you know, really likes to pitch in a certain inning. So if you have two guys that you need to watch, you pitch them on alternate days, and then you know they, you never use Sir Anthony and Pat Nishak on the same day. So I think it kind of works out itself. And then you have Tommy Hunter that's effective. Um, Duvray Ramos in AAA right now, but was effective and will probably be back up, you know, once the 10 days are up. So you have him. Garcia has been, been okay. Um, Victor Arano has been really good. So I think you have, like, other options than you really just had Sir Anthony for a long stretch because Tommy Hunter was, was not what he, what he is right now. And Pat Dushak was on the DL. So I think that they're set up more in you know the final weeks of the season to to lay off Sir Anthony a little bit and to, to maximize his performance when you do actually use him. Are we expecting Hector Neris back anytime soon? In uh, 18 games at AAA, he has allowed three runs in 17 and two thirds innings, 28 strikeouts, seven walks. I mean the walks are still up a little bit, but what? Yeah, he's what pitching you, well. What are you hearing on I, that end? I don't. So. He's he's on the forty man roster, obviously, so he'll be he'll be up in September, I'm sure. But I, I don't think there's any like reason to have confidence in him, especially when it's one thing to pitch good in Triple A, and it's one thing to pitch good last year when the games didn't mean anything. But this year, I think he showed that he he couldn't handle or he at least failed in, in big spots and big pressure when the game started to mean something. And would you feel comfortable throwing him out there in a pennant race when? In August and September, you need big outs, and here comes Hector Neris. I just, I, I think it's, you know, he he was really good first stretch last year. He was he's pitching really good in AAA, but I don't think you, you're not desperate right now in the bullpen to use him. I think you have enough guys that have proven this season they can pitch in the majors, and I wouldn't I would carry Hector Neris back there just in case you needed a guy in the bullpen. But I don't think he's you're, you're going to count on him for meaningful innings down the stretch. No, like you said, they uh, they have no clear need for, for a righty right now, given the way Tommy Hunter has pitched as of late. Victor Arano has been spectacular this season. Luis Garcia has been spectacular this season. I agree with you, but it helps to have that arm back there. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be a nice like insurance policy just – to so you use Victor Arano the last two nights and, and he's he's gas. So tonight, all right, well, we're up three to one. You know, it's not not a it's a close game, but not a super close game. So we'll use Hector Neris to see if he can get us out of it. So that, I mean, that, it's a good option to have, but I wouldn't be surprised if he came back and he's still toast. The uh, to tie things up here, I mean, what is going to come? I and mean, the Phillies cannot afford to throw games away down the stretch against teams that they should be beating. 23 of their last 48 are against teams that are under 500. That is by far the best among the remaining contenders. Dodgers have 20 of 46. Milwaukee only 15 of 44. Diamondbacks 19 of 45. Cubs 15 of 48. Braves 16 of 50. And then on down the list. That's going to be – is that going to be – is that going to be a focal point of Gabe Kapler's when he's managing this team, or does he kind of just let them operate as they operate? Oh, like a focal point is 
Like, is he going to stress taking care of business? Yeah, that's what uh, that good playoff teams are playoff teams because they beat up on teams that aren't. So if, if the Phillies can't take care of business against the Mets and the Marlins, then they're not a playoff team. You're not going to, you're not, they're not going to be able to get there without doing that. So like this weekend in San Diego, you lost two or three of the Diamondbacks, but if you take two or three from the Padres, then they're flying home with a three and three road trip. And that's a success. So you need to beat up on bad teams and then you need to tread water against the really good teams. And I, I, before the Marlins series, I had a, you know, just kind of played out the, the rest of the season. And if they went 500 against the teams with a winning record and then went, it was only like seven or eight games over 500 against teams with a losing record, they would have 90 wins. So, and, and I, I think in a perfect world, 90 wins probably gets you in the playoffs, but you know, crazy. It looks like it's kind of, could be a crazy finish with the way the way the Braves are winning and the other um, kind of records that the other teams are putting together. So 90 might not get you in, but it gives you a pretty good shot. And I think if they take care of business against these, you know, bottom feeders, and I, I don't think there's like any reason they missed the playoffs. So what's your overall, to, to wrap it up, what, what's your overall sense of where this team is at right now? Are you, what is your, what is your level of concern about the lineup? What is your level of concern about the bullpen? What is your level of concern about the rotation? How, how do you think they, they set up right now? What, how are they playing overall? The rotation's good. Obviously, the bullpen's good. The lineup is what you need. It's shown, like, the Marlins series, but, it, again, it was against the Marlins. So, you know, I don't know how much value you can put in that series. But they show that they can hit that series. They scored five runs, I think, in all four games. Um, they were – Okay, like Estrubel had the big hit in Arizona, but between besides that, Nick Williams had the home run. So besides that, it wasn't they didn't do much um, in Arizona, but they also faced two of the top three pitchers. I mean, two of the top pitchers in baseball in Corbin and Greinke. So I mean, that's a tough series, especially on the road. But if the the offense is going to be the one that has to take that step forward, especially if the rotation does, you know, take a a step back, even like a small step back, you need to have a safety net behind it, and that's the offense taking a step forward. So I, I don't think they're going to get to the playoffs if the offense, you know, just doesn't hit. I don't think they're going to get to the playoffs because, the, you know, the starting pitch in the bullpen kind of did smoke and mirrors to get them through to cover up for offense. But I also do think that this lineup is a lot better than than it's hit. And we also didn't even touch on, I'm just thinking about it now, uh, the possibility that Ramos joins the team in September 1st. You know, you talk about how deep this lineup is with Estrubal Cabrera. You had Ramos behind the plate, and he's batting. You know, you could really slot Wilson Ramos in anywhere. You know, you could even bat him fourth and bump Santana down, and all of a sudden your lineup one through eight, not even one through seven, is, is a tough out. So that's, that's going to be interesting. I that's think, a great call. What, you know, what, this lineup is – that much better with Wilson Ramos in there. What is the what if is, he's hit, if he's healthy and hitting? What is the story on Ramos? Have we gotten an update since the trade deadline? It's been about ten days now. Yeah, he, so he he said he would be ready by mid August, which is you know it's, it's August 9th today, so mid August would really be like a week from now. But the Phillies, Gabe Kapler, Matt Contact seem a little more tentative than that, and or it seems like they're going to if they can. They're going to hold him out till September first. But there's no word on a reha- it, it, rehab outing yet or anything. No, so he he need, there's no talk of a rehab yet. He needs to go on that, and he was close to going on a rehab with Tampa, like we talked about, but uh, on the last podcast. But he what happened was he when he started running, he he felt felt in his hamstring, mm-hmm. so he didn't want to take his time. And he can catch and he can hit. He just can't run. But that that's the problem with the hamstring right now. Right. So, you know, he has caught with the Phillies. He's caught a bullpen. Um, he's taken BP. He just he can't run because of the hamstring. So once that is a little bit healed, which to me I, I don't think is could be really that far off. But if they want to hold him out till September first, and that that's what could could happen. But I would be shocked if he's not back by then. But what the people really want to know is when is Madden arriving in your inbox, and when am I going to get my first chance to dust off the old, uh, the old Steve Sarkeesian Express? 
they're saying Wednesday, but on Amazon, but that does not sound like Amazon to me. Amazon should have this thing like a drone dropping it off on my <laughs> doorstep tomorrow morning. That's like Maddie. So likes Wednesday, dropping the bombs. Red Sox, I might have to call in sick Wednesday night. <laughs> Pull the old high school calling sick. Spend the game playing video uh-huh. games while your mama makes you ch- chicken noodle soup. I quit my job in uh, high school when the World Cup started one day. Where were you working? So I could do that again. Was this when you were at school uniform company? Uh, man, you've had, you had a uh, long list of gigs, huh? You, you pumped gas. Summer jobs, dude. That's what it's all Get about. It all. You've got that, that, maybe I'll pull that, one that Protestant work ethic, that Catholic work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I had to make money that summer to buy, man. All right, let's uh, let's do it again. Soon. All right, sounds good, Dave. Talk to you, man.